Hey everybody, it's time once again for the program that is literally made up on the spot. Well, sometimes in advance, and sometimes even after the fact. You know why? Because we have no agenda. This is No Agenda, coming to you from the Curry Manor in the United Kingdom. I'm Adam Curry. And I'm John C. Dvorak up here in Northern California, where we've had a couple of 100-degree days, and I think it's cooling off today, and I can finally see the marine layer out there beyond the Golden Gate Bridge ready to come in and cool us off. Well, shit, if I knew you were going to give a full weather report, I would have done the same, you know? <laughs> uh, actually, uh, let me tell you, I, I did just come through the clouds from uh, from the Netherlands, and I just I did some amazing instrument flying today. I am, uh, I've gone to a whole new level of uh, airmanship. I'm quite jazzed and adrenalized, actually. Well, that's sweet. It, it is, because there comes this point when you have the confidence to do a number of different things, and actually kind of gets easier when you get to instrument flying, because all you have to do is just follow instructions, and you're really managing the system instead of flying the airplane. Uh, but it feels like the world, the oyster that is my world, enlarged a little bit today. I think I can go to more places and do more things. But you're not going to take, that doesn't mean you're going to become some sort of a crackpot risk taker. No, no quite the opposite. No, no, no. In, in fact, uh, there's this magical moment, I think, before you get to your instrument rating where um, before you really have done instrument flying, because, you know, the thing with instrument flying, and people, I mean, people may know this, but really the main issue is if you're um, uh, a private pilot, and so you, you fly under what they call visual flying rules, VFR. That means you can see the ground at all times when you're flying. Because when you mm -hmm. go into clouds, and you, let's just call that a whiteout, because you're completely, you're, all the windows is just white. You can't see anything. At that point, if you don't know how to read your instruments and fly on your instruments, you will probably wind up upside down within, within about seven seconds because of vertigo. Um. And the, uh, and the vertigo thing, or as we call it, the leans, is really quite interesting because, you know, when you're flying um, in, the, you know, in uh, IMC, uh, so instrument meteor meteorological conditions, um, you, you know, you basically have to look at your horizon and keep the aircraft uh, level, and you, you don't look out outside. In fact, you don't even move your head very, uh, very much because every movement you make with your head could uh, cause vertigo, and it's, I mean... You, if you're trained in it, you, you recognize it and you don't do anything wrong, but you still have the same feeling. It's like, I, I feel like the aircraft is, is leaning to the left, you know, where really it's leaning to the right or doing something else. It's, it's a very weird sensation, but once you're past it, it's, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Well, good. Well, then I, I'll feel more comfortable flying with you. <laughs> Would you really get on with me? You, you, you'd fly with me, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're you're, you're safety-oriented, you know, and you have the, uh, you're not crazy. So uh, let's talk a little bit about No Agenda. Uh, the program No Agenda? Yeah, you've uh, heard of it. Yeah, surely, uh, along with uh, some 35,000 other people. So uh, I've been getting a lot of, you know, since I'm doing a lot of Twittering, uh, as you do, uh, I've been getting a lot of commentary regarding the concept of No Agenda oh. and uh, what it means. Oh, that's interesting. And so, okay. 
Yeah, they always say, well, hi. In fact, I, I said on a Twitter or on a tweeter, twit, tweet, tweet, whatever the hell you <laughs> want to call it, a, a, tw- a tutor earlier that I'm going to explain what no agenda means. And then somebody, you know, uh, Uber chick, I think is who it was, mm-hmm. one of my uh, followers. Yes. She said, well, then, then you did by do it by even saying that that means you have an agenda. <laughs> and see, this one. So this one I'm going to try to point out is that well, we're, we're talking about agenda in the meta sense. We're not talking about a show that has no list of things to talk about or, or things that we're maybe going to discuss here and there. But by no agenda, we mean we don't have like some sort of a, you know, a, a, a meta agenda. Like we we're not trying to sell something. We're not trying to get somebody in office. We're not trying to do anything. You know, we're not scheming. And I, by agenda in this sense, I mean scheming, planning, plotting. Yeah, because every first of all, it's entertainment. Every show we do is intended to entertain the audience one way or the other. And uh, I think you're right. You know, when you do an entertainment show, you, of course, there's some planning. But the thing that's interesting about this is uh, we typically plan uh, separately. So I have a couple of things. John has a couple of things. Um, and, but we don't discuss the topics offline. And that, but that has nothing to do with the agenda. It just has to do with the freshness of the conversation. Right. We don't. Yeah. And we do. I mean, and sometimes like last week, I don't think either one of us had a list of anything to talk about. In fact, the show took a good half hour before it got off the ground. And I also want to mention the fact that because we're doing it on Skype, the uh, there it does take a little it takes more than a few minutes before the two of us actually tune in. Yep. Absolutely right. Yeah. With the timing of talking to somebody who's who's who is a, who is out of phase now. You know, and you know, even with ISDN, I think we'd be out of phase well, because of I, the distance. Can I just say one thing about that? Because I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Because a lot of I learned a lot about ISDN, and I've been working with it for the past week, doing this thing for uh, for Arrow uh, uh, Classic Rock in the Netherlands, and I do that with uh, with an ISDN uh, connection, and the delay is literally uh, 60 milliseconds. So it's it's it is like sitting next to someone. There is no delay, or the delay is so minimal that your brain adjusts to it within seconds. Yeah, but that's the delay from there to the Netherlands. It's not the delay from there to the to California, which has got to be one of the longest distances, one of the longest throws for ISDN there is. And I have seen these overseas well, Can I just things, say, can I just say, say it, Go ahead. Because mm-hmm. I, I have learned something here. Um, that delay, even to uh, California, would still be minimal. And the reason why, because this is what I've learned, the reason why is you are actually getting a, you know two dedicated 64 kilobit circuits you know there's there's no routing there's no buffering of of routers and of course there's no uh, waiting for packets that were lost along the way um, so when I consider the um, and it's by the way it's using an AAC codec you know so it's a it's a kind of an open standard and it's available everywhere when I consider though um, how easy the uh, the ISDN um, codec makers have it, you know, these, these boxes, because of that dedicated circuit. I have to say, what the guys at Skype have done, coming up with, what is it, maybe 600 milliseconds, it's a little more than half a second, it feels like. Um, and you can even hear it on the show. Sometimes, you know, when, when one of us responds to the other, usually with laughter, there is just that split-second delay. That it's almost, sometimes I'll... I'll say something. I'm like, "Wow, I really bombed on that joke," but then you'll then the laugh will come in. But still, those guys at Skype have done a phenomenal job with uh, with minimizing the the latency. I agree, but and it would be probably if we did actually if we ever make money on this show, 
I'll put ISDN in, and you know, as long as I, you know, and we'll do it that way because it would be a little better, but it would only be a little incrementally better. But it would be better. I agree because a direct shot between you and because P to P is not really P to P on the on the internet. It's like, yeah, it's kind of P to P, but it's jumping around all it over is. the place in the meantime, right? Yeah, the, the the bottom layer, the actual packet layer, is jumping around. Yeah, it's all it's just being passed around the way it works, and um, but but anyway, I actually have a faster connection now. I got my Comcast boosted and um, to sixteen and three, mm. which is pretty. But but when I tested it against the English servers, I was getting four and point five. Which really? is still better than I was going to have before. Uh, when did you uh, boost this? Did we have it last week as well? No, no, I got it boosted like uh, yesterday on Friday. Oh, okay, because last week we, I think we had a show without you know knock on wood and don't don't invite the boogeyman in. But last week we had a, almost a, a flawless connection the whole way through. Yeah, I think it was because what what time did we do? Well, I don't know. It's, no, it yeah. doesn't make that much difference. No, I think I think it fell apart once, and that which brings me to another point. Well, we, but let me finish the latency yeah, thing okay, first because ahead. a lot of you know one of the, the worst kinds of latencies is these uh, are when you see it on broadcasting with the satellites. One of the cheap, exactly, one of the cheapest connections you can make. It's very inexpensive to do a satellite link up, and uh, and anyone can do it because you can have a truck you know come out and put a satellite in your front yard, and uh, you can but the delay is unbelievably painful. Yeah. That's probably one and a half to two seconds. Yeah, it's horrible. Now, on to us. We have some critics out there, and I wanted to, to answer a question that came up in their uh, discussion, which is... Um, we have critics? I'm flabbergasted. Yeah, well, I think that's a good sign because that means we have a lot of listeners. And there's a lot of people that, let's face it, don't like either one of us. But anyway... <laughs> But anyway, the, the 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 thing is, we do this show straight up. We don't. We do not stop. We oh, do I've not heard, take. Uh, yeah, I've heard that too. I'm like, we don't coffee edit. breaks. Now, what happens now? This this does happen, and if you if you think you're hearing an edit, is for the following reason because it happened didn't happen. I don't think last week, but it might have. Once in a while, I'll be yakking away, yakking away, and then the next thing you know, ding, the connection is dead. The Skype connection is yeah. dead. We rehook up. You know, without taking a break, and and try to start at the exact same point where we got where we lost the connection. In fact, I'll even, so I'll, it, I'll even count John in on on a thought that he's making. I'll say, and I'll let him, let him hear the piece, or I'll say, okay, this is this is the word that we're going to edit in on, uh, come you know, uh, punch back in on, and I'll count right. him down and say three, two, one, and then I hit record, and then you just pick up pick it up literally with the same thought. Right, and then and the, and people have to realize that we're not uh, really interested in overproducing a show like this because it works the way it works, and we don't. And you, you, once you start producing, or you, I can just imagine bringing somebody in as a producer. Well, I think you guys ought to punch it up. We should need some jingles in the middle, you know. And they, or you'd have you do the hour and a half, and they say that was pretty good. Let's do a safety. A safety. Uh, <laughs> you know, another hour and a half. So uh, uh, that was. I'm laughing, John, because for eight years at MTV, whenever we did something on location, I, I, there's nothing I hated more, particularly if it was an on-location situation where uh, maybe I'd just done an interview. Sometimes they would even call for it uh, after an interview, but usually you're know, doing segments, and then every single producer would say, wow, hey, that was really great. great. That was right on the money. Um, let's just do one more for safety. I'm like, what the fuck? I hate that. <laughs> and then, and then they always pick, and then some guy the in, this, in the booth. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> they picked the wrong damn Exactly. Cake. This is uh, what I was going to say. They always pick the wrong one. Uh, which is part of the reasons why I really started to despise television for a while. It's just you have no control unless you literally sit on top of it and control everything, which is very tiresome. Well, you run into that with photography and magazines too. They uh, they'll take they'll shoot you know they'll say like we need a new portrait for your whatever your column, and they'll shoot a thousand photos, <laughs> and in there there'll be like five that are really outstanding, and they never pick those five. You know, you say I want one of these five. They always pick some other one that just like I don't my ears aren't that big. So, so, you know, why are you picking this picture? So you know how I solve that? You you may have noticed um, so. Recently, a lot of requests have come in. Uh, you know, I've been done, been doing some interviews, and they always say, "Do you have a picture?" Sometimes they really insist that they take the picture, which is where it gets kind of tricky. But um, every year, um, and my wife really got me into this. Uh, we have a photographer she's been working with for thirty years. He did all of her Playboy pictures and whatever. And uh, you know, so we'll do a, a couple of different series uh, of pictures. Um, she'll, you know, she'll do hers and, and I'll do mine. And the, you know, the deal you make with a photographer is look, you know, I'll, I'm going to give these away to, uh, normally you would pay for them, but we know this guy so long, um, you know, we'll give them away to, to press and he gets a photo credit. You know, he doesn't really need the money necessarily, but then you have total control over it. And eight, eight out of 10 times that a picture is needed for stuff like that, they'll take yours. Yeah, no, that's true. In fact, I have one posted on, on the web when people say, you need to post It's like a huge JPEG. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I just let them go get it. But it's not even one of the better ones. But I have a bunch. I had a guy uh, who used to be like the same kind of photographer. I always demand that they use him. Um, it was Tom O'Brien. He used to be in uh, Los Angeles. I can't find him now. I don't know where he went. And um, But anyway, he used to be a food. He used to take some of the best pictures of food. And he also worked for a couple of the game companies. But he, he's his portrait taking was unbelievable i mean this guy could just was a natural it's like he'd take a uh, 500 pictures of you and they were all good yeah and uh, so it was then you couldn't pick one because it was like jesus it looks i look pretty good here well it, but it, anyway, it does yeah. take some time you know it, to, you have to work with a photographer you know it takes a little while to to get a vibe going yeah. between you and it really makes a there's, difference there's I think there's I think there's more to it than that, and I think what it is is I think there's a lot of not untalented photographers out there too. Yeah, um, usually when it, it comes down to lighting, obviously that's where uh, I think the the men are separated from the boys. Lighting, and they can't bring anything out of you. One of the guys who was in, you know, I actually uh, one of the. I worked with Jim Marshall and actually became his friend. He's the famous rock and roll photographer. He's the one who got the Jimi Hendrix picture sure, of him lighting the guitar. All those photos yeah. are in uh, the Hard Rock in Las Vegas. And uh, Marshall's a character, if anyone knows him. I mean, he's like, you know, mean and, you know, but, he's in, but, he, but he did a, a bunch of pictures of me for um, micro times. And he's, the guy is such a good photographer in every which way that it's like, it's just unbelievable. And it was like, he didn't even take that many pictures. He's one of these guys uh i worked with a guy once who shot uh <laughs> i had a picture taken now we're getting this is this is drive the audience nuts but i had a picture taken at the the absolute other extreme of the guy who takes a thousand photos it was a setup shot for a giant blow up of me's to sell my first telecom book in the mid 80s <laughs> and the guy shot on a, a, this camera that was the size of a house with a, you know, it's just a, basically a 12 inch negative. Oh yeah. Of course. For the resolution. Absolutely. Right. And he goes in there, he sets the shot. They put makeup on you. They set you this way. They take you, make you smile, blah, blah, boom, bang, one shot. And, <laughs> and, and that one negative cost $87. <laughs> 
whatever it costs, I don't know, but the shot was perfect. Oh, man. It's just the complete opposite of the guys who shoot a million and try to find the one. I mean, I'm one of those photographers. I take a lot. I've, de- I've decided that I, I, my eye's fair, and I do nail stuff with one shot. But for the most part, if you take a million pictures, you've got a l- much better chance of finding one or two really good ones. So our, so our guy, uh, whose name is Govert de Roos, um, he, uh, he's, a, he's been a Hasselblad guy all his, all his life, which is obviously a brand of very... Uh, professional and expensive camera. And about uh, three years ago, he finally purchased the digital back, which is, ah. you know, that's like a $50,000 thing. But so, you know, it takes these really, really high resolution, but still with the Hasselblad warmth and how they do it, I'm not quite sure. And, the, you know, and obviously uh, you just get better results because indeed you just fire off, you know, like we'll do 200 shots and yeah, you're going to find something just perfect. Mm-hmm. So, how do we get to this part? How do we get to this off this track? Uh, well, let me just say, well, I'll take it back a little bit and say uh, we did edit one part last week. I was just thinking, um, and this has happened maybe one other time before on your end. My wife actually called me, and um, it, it was more than like a uh, thirty seconds. You know, she had there was something important she had to tell me, so it probably took oh, about right, a minute right. she or called, so. The phone rang, yeah, right, and and uh, and so I and. And you said you even said in the show, uh, let's remember to cut that out. And I'll tell you that when I was um, preparing the show for uh, you know uh, post uh, post compression, everything to send it up to upload it, I listened to that piece and I and I really thought for a second, well, it's kind of cool to let it in. But then I thought, but you know, it's really it's like two minutes. You know, it's like boring. So I could cut a piece out. And I might as well just cut the whole piece out. But that was it. I and mean, there was no there's there's no other edits. You're right. Straight up, straight through. Uh, right now, it's uh, 10 past 8 Saturday evening where I am. It's, t- it's noon here. Yeah. So, uh, right, yeah, which is, you know, this actually we're doing the show late. <laughs> Uh-oh. Did I lose you? So, oh, there, there you so, go. So, um, so Irina Slutsky uh, yes. sent me a tweet. Uh, she was on the Cranky Geeks recently. Oh, I, have, I haven't seen it in a while. Cool. I like her. Uh, oh, I actually watched last week's. It was actually quite good with uh, uh, old Malik. Anyway, when, when she was on the show, she just sent a note to me. She got her second marriage proposal out of the appearance on the show. <laughs> Excellent. But a serious one or like a really good I one? I don't know. I mean, I would just maybe this would be some way of getting more women to do the show. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, we need more women in tech. Well, well, there's a, there's definitely a shortage. So anyway, so I'll to, to talk to talk about real topics. I want to go on. I want to talk about this. So this guy Thomas Derrick, or no, De Crick, D E C R I C K, who turns guy? out to be Belgian. Uh huh. Okay. So uh, he has first sent me a note about uh, use of the term poo-pooing, which I guess bothers the Belgians when they hear it in English. And I'm not absolutely sure why, poo, but poo, he thought, poo. oh, I know why. Yeah, you've been poo-pooing that, you know, kind of thing. Poo, poo. I know. Uh, why. Okay, why? Because in uh, Flemish, if we're talking about the, uh, the, the Dutch-speaking side of uh, the country, uh, a poop is your ass. Yeah. So when you just said it, poo-pooing, it sounded like assing, kind of. Oh, okay. Well, then the problem, he, he thought even saying pissing on, which is a British comment. I mean, Americans don't say that. Right. Uh, 
he thought was better, but I, I, okay, well, now at least I know. Anyway, but in the process of that, I went back and forth with him on this because I was, you know, I like saying it because <laughs> it, it's, it, it's effective. But he mentioned the thing. He said, what is the deal uh, with all this kind of, there's like a bunch of news stories about uh, uh, George Bush went to the, I guess the Knesset or is in Israel, and he made this comment yeah. about appeasement to Hitler without saying anything about anyone. And I don't even know why he's saying this, but next thing you know, Obama is coming off the off the walls, going on saying it was a direct slam at him. He's not, you know, about appeasement. And and then Hillary came on, you know, and it's, this thing has become this kind of a weird little firestorm. And I said to him initially, I don't know, I don't know what the big deal is one way or the other. It seems as though just a bunch of political crap uh, going on. And I don't even know why Obama volunteered. Uh, I mean, he was almost not, it, it, which makes me think that maybe there's a, there's some interesting baiting not only some anyway let me stop for a second well look can i just say one thing just because sure. i actually had to do this um appeasement to bring to a state of peace quiet ease calm or contentment to satisfy allay or relieve to yield or concede to the belligerent demands of right we have, that's we what an, it we have an international audience Yes. Now, here's the deal that's been cropping up on right-wing talk shows. And I'm going to give you the whole overall, what I believe is a reverse marketing thing going on here by the Republican Party. And I think it's going to be quite interesting when you hear my whole spiel. Does that mean uh, shut up, Adam, and let me talk? No, no. I want you to interrupt every chance, when, especially <laughs> okay. when I go a little bit. It's, it's a funny thing to say. But, but yeah, interrupt me okay. because I'm going to be throwing a bunch of English stuff in here. Here's what's happening. One of the things that the right-wing talk show guys are doing is they've reintroduced to the American psyche Neville Chamberlain. Now, Neville Chamberlain is the guy best known, and he's still kind of in the history books as the guy who kind of appeased Hitler on behalf of the British. Now, nobody remembers this guy, and young voters definitely don't remember this guy. He was actually dead in 1940 before I was the oldest guy in the room, and he was dead before I was long before I was born. <laughs> and uh, but somehow, and they're, they're not that they're playing on one of the shows. I heard him actually playing a Neville Chamberlain speech. Hmm. Uh, and this is, you know, this was the speech was from 1938 or something like that. Or, you know, I mean, Chamberlain died in 40 right after he was kicked, within six months of after he was like essentially kicked out of uh, office. He was prime minister. He was dead. Oh, by the way, I went into Wikipedia, just did a little shaggy dog version of this story. <laughs> this yeah. is why Wikipedia is kind of funny. I'm going to read you uh, two sentences or actually one sentence, two sentences from the early life of Neville Chamberlain as, as it's stated in Wikipedia. Chamberlain was, now listen carefully, Chamberlain was born in a house called Southbourne in the Ed Baston, I can't even pronounce it, district of Birmingham, England. He was the eldest son of the second marriage of Joseph Chamberlain, Lord Mayor of Birmingham, Ham, and a half-brother, later Sir Austin. So in other words, Chamberlain was was the son of two guys. That's the way it's written. That's the way it's written. Oh, you gotta love Wikipedia. It's just it's just it's just they need an editor. It's just you know, just you know what we say? We we would say Neville Chamberlain would turn over in his grave, my friends. 
So anyway, it's just it's just worded funny. But anyway, they go on and says mother's actually. Can, can, yeah. can, I, can I just say that I'm 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 desperately searching. Um, I can recall something, some news in the UK in the past few weeks. Also, someone referring to Neville Chamberlain. So I'm trying to find that reference while you're telling the story. Yeah. Okay. So never Neville Chamberlain's back into the picture now. I started to think about this at first when I, when uh, the Crick brought this up. I said, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just the way it goes. But now I'm thinking about it. maybe not. This actually may be part of a scheme because the Republicans have done this better than anybody else, which is to tag somebody with a moniker that they can't shake. Flip flopper, for example, with John mm -hmm. Kerry. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea of, a, of being an appeaser or an you know, uh, even though it's not the world's greatest thing to stick someone with, because it's kind of hard to say, appeaser is an appeaser. Uh, may, this may be the beginning of tagging Obama with an appeaser, and he seems to have taken the bait on this. Now, he's either aware of the fact that they're going to try to tag him with this, and he's going to be stuck with this moniker right into the election. And this, this will have, oh, God, he's an appeaser. It's going to be like Neville Chamberlain. He's going to take his, you know, we're going to be in war because of this guy. Uh, he may have reacted to the, uh, to the early salvo, which was, in fact, the Bush speech in Israel. Uh, he may have reacted... But he may have overreacted or he may have reacted because he was told to, like, kill this before it got out of control. But in fact, because Hillary jumped on the bandwagon and shook her finger at Bush, it's made it actually worse. So who, so I who, think who, would, who would Obama actually be appeasing? Obama went on in some minor way saying that he wants to talk to the head of Iran. That guy. Oh, okay. Okay, I got that you. That guy whose name, you know, if you're not pronouncing it every day, you'll never pronounce it. Ahmadinejad? Uh, yeah, that guy. He says, he's, you know, it's a good, you know, we should be talking, bringing it to the table. We should be, you know, that kind of thing. And this guy, Akmenejad's already been associated with Hitler by the right wingers of the U.S. You know, and he acts like a Hitler, too, and in terms of his, you know, hatred of the Jews. And he wants to blow up Israel and wipe them off the map and all this kind of thing. This stuff doesn't fly. But, of course, he really has, so, he has no real power in Iran. But that's well, beside no, the of course point. he didn't. Yeah, well, we don't care about the facts. But anyway, so. <laughs> true, uh, true. So, the, so, so by even talking about this guy, it's like somebody we should talk bring to the table that's an appeaser he was, was he so they're trying to associate him wanting to talk to this maniac as the same as Neville Chamberlain Wanted talking to, talk Hitler, to Hitler coming back with a phony baloney paper and then having the Netherlands attack the next day so um so so this is all and so I'm now thinking this is all part of a long-term strategy by the Republicans to get to put tag this guy with this particular uh moniker and I think you know it's already working so I mean there so this is already one strike against Obama and I think Hillary jumped on the bandwagon because she still has high hopes of everybody bailing out at the last minute you know she can still technically get the nomination but of course you know she hasn't neither one of these people are electable in my opinion uh, anyway but it's going to it's if it's starting this soon with this kind of thing, in other words, this appeasement tag, I can't imagine what it's going to be like three or four months from now when we get down to the wire. I mean, Obama is going to look like a, a pedophile or something. I don't know how they're going to do it. <laughs> well, but it's, I mean, it, it's interesting you say that because I, I don't think the um, – I understand the moniker. I understand the reference, the historical uh, significance. Um, I don't think the average – you know, as you already pointed out, the average voter, let's say – well, let's just say anyone under 35, under 40 for that matter, they may not even really understand what the appeaser label means. 
I think that's, I know that's why, but there's plenty of time to educate people. I mean, right. we got months and months and months. I think the elections what in five years. The uh, <laughs> anyway, we got plenty of time to educate people as to what it means, and it is a and if it's used in a, a pejorative way, oh, he's an appeaser. Even if you don't know what it means, you know it's bad. Uh, you know, because it's always going to be taken as always oh, an appeaser. Always oh, an appeaser. Oh, an appeaser. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. Uh, and that's kind of the way these things work. The Democrats have never been able to label their opponents the way the Republicans can label their opponents and make it stick. And it's a, it's a, it, and it's all marketing. Uh, it's a very interesting, but it's it's counter marketing. It's not. You know, the Democrats are good at you know old fashioned proactive marketing to push an agenda. The Republicans are good at, at, at kind of this this subtle attack marketing, which is really more complicated. It, it's really, and, it's really uh, word hacking. It's like meme hacking. It's, uh, it's la launching phrases and labels and, uh, yeah, memes, I guess, it, into the media uh, space and, and getting it repeated and, and getting something to stick. That's kind of, it's, it's, um, it's really social engineering. Yes, and they do a much better job. Now, I heard a speech by uh, – oh, what the hell is the name? Bill Moyers, who's – you know, he was talking to some group of – you know, these, one of these journalist groups of uh, people that write for counterculture. You know, there's basic people with no money. And uh, he was talking to this group, and they're all – there was a socialist gathering is what it was actually. And he was going on about how the Republicans have name, made all these crazy uh, phrases, and they've thrown all this stuff into the public domain and it's just manipulating the public and we should be aware of it. But he never mentions the fact that the Democrats are constantly trying to do this and they do it more often than the Republicans do, in fact. And I'll give you a couple of examples. I don't have my list here, but I do have a list that I maintain, by the way, of these phrases. Hmm. Uh, and a couple of them, for example, that have come up recently. And if you, if you listen to them, they're too, um, they're too intellectual. Uh, and they're also too – by the way, the appeasement thing is going to work even better when the peaceniks come out you know, supporting Obama. It's just going to reaffirm his base being all you – know, we just basically want to turn the country over to Iran well, is the way it, it's going it, to work. It does kind of make sense um, in a way, although you – know, so we had Hillary saying that um, – uh, what did she say? Uh, the U.S. would certainly obliterate Iran. Yeah, she was going the other. She was yeah. not going to put up. Yeah, she, she that was a smart yeah. thing for her to say. Uh, I mean, it's although, bullshit, although, although, not, although not very friendly thing to say. Let's be honest. No, she didn't. Well, she's not trying to get their vote. <laughs> Good point. Anyway, a couple of the items that the, the, the Democrats have tried to come up with, uh, right after the 9-11, uh, you first just saw justice, not vengeance, which was a little bit much. And that one's, that bumper sticker was everywhere in Berkeley. And then you have more recently, uh, I mean, actually, if you want to go back even further, they tried to popularize the term, and this is definitely from the Democrat side, they tried to popularize the term gravitas, which uh, was never used by a Republican ever. And, it meant, and it, it's supposed to, it means, well, he has gravitas, and this we have Alexa Gravitas, gravitas, and of course, then the, the public <laughs> voted in Bush, that, that which was is kind, hilarious. That was kind of a popular word for a while back in the seventies. I, I have a feeling. 
it's come and gone, but it was it was directly uh, attached to uh, uh, Cuomo, the Mario Cuomo. He was the gravitas guy that was supposed to run in '92, but he saw that Bush was going for a second term and said, "Well, you know, nobody ever beats an incumbent," and so he didn't run. Clinton won, and that was the end of Cuomo. But anyway, he had gravitas. So now the more gravitas, seriousness, or sobriety as of conduct of speech. Yeah, in other words, he can talk without stuttering or mumbling or saying stupid things. <laughs> now, the more recent one, which the Democrats have also tried to promote and has gotten nowhere, but it keeps cropping up. And the problem with it, it sounds creepy. And I'm not even absolutely sure what it means. But the, the term is truth to power. Oh, you must speak truth to power. Oh, is it going to allow truth to power? Truth to power. And this is like, I'm not even sure what it means. What? How would you interpret it? Truth to power. You must speak truth to power. It, 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 well, first of all, it seems like a, it, there should be a ratio attached to it. You know, what's your truth to power ratio? You know, like like a drivetrain. <laughs> now, uh, wait a minute. That's I got to write that down because no one's ever come up with the truth to power ratio. <laughs> we now, can use funny. it. We, we can introduce it. The truth to power ratio. Yeah, the ratio. truth to power ratio of 3.2. <laughs> You're rocking, baby, with a 3.2 uh, TPR. TPP, uh, <laughs> TTPR, whatever. Yeah. TTPR. Yeah. <laughs> um, truth to power. Yeah. I'm not really sure how to how to interpret it. I would well, probably what it ignore means, it. It means is that you don't surround yourself by with yes men at, at the base level is what it supposed. I think is one of the implications. But it means that that you will tell you tell it like it is. I think it's probably a, a takeoff from the 1960s. Let's let's you know remember how Web 2.0 is just a bunch of rewrites of everything right. from Web 1.0. Let's go to back to the 1960s when we were successful as a Democrat party and let's rewrite all these kinds of phrases. That we used to have back then, like tell it like it is, <laughs> man. Truth to power. Well, is, is, is it? <laughs> Here it is. The phrase "speak." I'm just reading from some fucking website. The phrase "speak truth to power" goes back to 1955, when the American Friends Service Committee published "Speak Truth to Power," a pamphlet that proposed that proposed the new approach to the Cold War. Uh, Cold War. Um, it's. Uh his title, which came to friend Milton Mayer toward the end of the week, uh, whatever. So that's good. Well, yeah, they, I mean, there's, there's nothing oh, new in the, under the sun. Oh, here's another data point. Anita Hill entitled her memoir of her sensational charges of sexual harassment against or harassment uh, against Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas speaking truth to power. Hmm. Well, sneaking in. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so but you'll find it's all left left like wing. Yeah. But let, let's do something with the uh, truth to power ratio. That's cool. I like it. Yeah, we have to come up with a formula. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we will turn it into an algorithm. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, um, we need it. like social graph is another one of my favorites. I love that too. So anyway, I have a list of these, and one of these days I'll, I'll discuss in more in more you, detail. You got I just one wanted more? to. You got one more. Well, you know, I don't, I can't, I probably will in the top. I don't have one more off the top of my head, but there's okay. a ton of them. All right. Uh, well, yeah, there's a, a, another one that they threw out there, which is like, uh, uh, no war for oil or something. I can't remember how it's phrased exactly, but that bumper sticker's all over the place trying to be a meme. Um, anyway. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's a bunch of these. I, like I said, I just thought about them now, but the, uh, I wanted to, anyway, I, so I thank Thomas DeCrick for uh, asking what I thought was a stupid question, but it turns out to be interesting. 
Let me because um, now everybody who listens to this show is on top of the appeasement thing, and we'll be able to spot it as the propagandistic machine starts to grind away on poor Obama. That is interesting to track. Um, hmm. Well, I guess the education now that what you said, you know, since a lot of people, I mean, I had to look it up. I'm like appeasement. Let me just look it up. Um, so let's watch out for the education process of the appeasement uh, meme. Well, and well, and then and, and the re, the rebirth of Neville Chamberlain. That's a funny one. By the way, you should everyone should go take a look at that Wikipedia page on Neville Chamberlain <laughs> just to see all these photos that are in there of these British stick in the muds, and there's one after another. It's unbelievable. Careful, it's humorous. careful now. Careful now. <laughs> I live over here. <laughs> yeah, I had an interesting conversation uh, on Wednesday. Uh, you know, I've, I'm finishing up some uh, some uh, historical tax crap with the uh, with the IRS, um, and so I got a really nice uh, a tax lawyer, Bob, and Bob lives in Connecticut, and uh, you know we we usually do everything through email, but you know we talk. And I said I don't, I never, I've only known the guy for a little bit because it's just been a short kind of thing he's had to do for me. Um, so I get on the phone with him, we're chatting away, you know, and so we basically go through whatever we want we need to do in like 45 minutes, like. I might as well talk with a guy for 15 minutes. He's going to bill me for a full hour anyway, right? And uh, and so we're you know we're talking. And he's interested uh, in MeVO and how, you know what what kind of stuff and about my show. And you know he also has to kind of understand some things because believe it or not, you know I'm one of these people that has to write down how many days I'm in which fucking country to you know to pay tax in the right place. And so he just wants right. to understand what's work and how to you know how do we do it when I'm doing something for the Netherlands from here or I'm doing something here for for San Francisco. Um, and, 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 uh, I said, you know, what else do you do for kicks, man? He's like, oh, I'm actually a volunteer ambulance driver uh, up here in Connecticut. And, uh, that's part of the department of Homeland Security. And, you know, so I, of course, you know, start laughing and I launch into my whole, you know, my crap at trying to get into the country, which of course has nothing to do with, with DHS, but, um, you know, so we're, and we're talking about, he says, oh man, I got to tell you something really amazing. Cause he is one of these guys that has a, you know, a special uh, ID card that should, you know, when Armageddon strikes, then uh, he gets to the front of the line for vaccinations or any necessary stuff in order to help people. And there's a number of these guys uh, in not just in, you know, like uh, services like ambulance driving, but also it's well known that um, there are, uh, you know, businessmen who are also a part of, uh, you know, have a DHS credentials, uh, for instance, supply food or whatever is necessary. And he said that uh, one weekend they were all called up, um, uh, you know, not just the ambulance drivers, but a couple of the services because uh, they needed some real manpower. And turns out they had these, um, ah, what do you call it? Uh, hold on. I actually wrote down uh, like uh, sanitation kits. And so, you know, they have a, a stockpile, a warehouse of stuff that, uh, you know, once, when, when something goes wrong, then these guys know how to, you know, got to go get it and, and distribute it. And they had to open up every single sanity kit, and he, he said there were thousands, and remove the tooth, toothpaste because they were tainted. They were the, the toothpaste that was tainted from China. Oh, my goodness. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the frig can we have Department of Homeland Security being so stupid as to put, you know, stuff that you put into your body, especially in the case of emergency, that has been purchased from a foreign country. And, oh, by the way, China? <laughs> I mean, so you could, you know, if, if you want to make sure that after you've dropped the bomb, you kill everybody else, just sell toothpaste. 
<laughs> wow, that's a story nobody got. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a scoop. Yeah. I guess I said, dude, is it okay if I uh is it okay if I said to talk about this? Yeah, sure. You know, as long as you as long as you have a lawyer that understands that type of business. <laughs> yeah, well, you didn't give his name and it's just a fact. Anyway, facts are always good. So, uh um, I, I just thought, I, I just think that's a huge risk. A huge risk. I don't know what uh, other things the, they hand out. The whole thing that you know what? The, the fact of the matter is they know nothing's going to happen. That stuff's all going to expire anyway and get thrown into the into the landfill. Okay. I mean, but yeah, I agree with you. I think it's stupid. Can I complain about something? Oh, gee, a surprise. You know, here, this is it. I just, I was thinking about this because earlier before we started the show, I called you and I used Skype. I was mm -hmm. on Skype and I, I hit your number on Skype and it, and it forwards because you have call forwarding set up, by the way, which people should know works amazingly well. Yeah. And it goes to your cell phone, and it sounds like you're on your... I mean, you sound like it's an outstanding connection. Well, there's only, there's only one drawback, uh, and that is it does not pass on caller ID. Ah, this and is what I'm getting to. Yep, okay. There's more to it than that. What's really weird about it is that mm, if you're not really picking up right away or something, it goes to a message box. Uh, AT&T interrupts the call. And I've gotten this number of times. I've had I, they do it not necessarily just with Skype. They do it occasionally with other other systems too. But I get the feeling that Skype is the reason they're doing it because they're losing their butt on the fact that Skype is doing this free call from me to you, and you're in England. So and so, so, so hold on. So when you call me, it forwards, and if I don't answer or if, if my phone is off, uh, it doesn't go to voicemail. AT and T disconnects. No, it goes to an AT&T voicemail that asks me to put your phone number in. Uh, no, no, no. No, dude. That's just, okay. I got that one. That's just me. Um, AT&T's, check this out, because this has been irritating me for quite a while. AT&T's roaming partner in the UK is O2. And uh, by the way, if you buy the iPhone over here, it comes with an O2 subscription, right? So they, they are definitely connected. That is the only network. It doesn't happen, happen if I'm on Vodafone. It doesn't happen if I'm on uh, th uh, 3. It doesn't happen if I'm on uh, T-Mobile. Uh, um, it, then it goes to, it, it doesn't go automatically to the, to the voicemail. It, it gives you that, uh, please enter the 10-digit number, blah 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 And I also can't retrieve my voicemail through their own freaking partner here in the UK. Now, if I change the network and I roam on a different network, we get an astronomical bill. So now this, okay, so let's go back, back up a couple of notches. What I'm claiming, well, this, this is interesting, but what I, why are, here's the point. I am calling through a network where all these numbers, and by the way, I'm going to, you know, it's not the, what you're supposed to say, but I'm still amused. My kids actually all know about this too. We all laugh when it comes up on a TV show where the guy says, keep them on the line as long as you can. We got to tra trace the call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've almost triangulated. <laughs> you know, it's like the call, all the details are in the line immediately. Yeah. So you don't have to trace anything. But the point is, and the kids, ah, this is bullshit. But anyway, the, the thing is they've got my number. They've got the number I dialed. They have the 10-digit number of doubt. Why are they asking for me to put it in again? The only person that can't put it in is a guy who didn't dial it at all, but somebody coming in through Skype. I understand what you're saying, John, um, but I don't think it's much worse than that. 
they're not they're not doing that just because you're coming through Skype. They do it who, no matter who calls me gets that. No, I've got it on a regular line too, but on the regular line I can punch the number back in, and so then it goes through. But if I'm coming through Skype, I don't know what the number is. So it's like a it's a blocking factor. I mean, it's a natural. It's like a self. It's a self. Uh, no, but John, generating. You're, you're, but you're not hearing me. The, no, I guess who, not. who else? Who else do you call that this happens to? No one. Only with me. Who else do you call who has Skype forwarding? I have to think about. I have to think about that. No, I don't no call one. that many people on Skype that get their calls forwarded to a cell phone. So I. I so first of all, of course, this is this is. So, <laughs> So it is messed up because no matter who calls me with proper uh, caller ID, if they're calling from a landline, calling from the UK, the United States, the Netherlands, wherever they're calling from, if my cell phone, if my cell phone is on the O2 network, which is the default roaming partner for AT&T in the United Kingdom, you get to that freaking stupid menu where you have to enter the 10-digit number. If I'm roaming on any other network here, it goes straight to voicemail the way it should. So the problem is not with... I don't believe the problem is with, with AT&T de, denying Ooh. Skype. They won't. They, how can they even do that when they're such boneheads they can't even make it... Regular calls go to voicemail. Of course they have all the information. They're just fucked up. So, uh, no, there has to be an agenda. <laughs> I don't think there's an agenda. Why would you screw your, the, your own partner... I don't know. I'm just telling you. It's just annoying as, you know, I call. And if I'm doing it on Skype, I mean, I, if I'm doing it on a cell phone, I, yeah, I just, you know, it's not a problem getting the number. But, and I can punch it in and it goes to, it does go to some voicemail that apparently you don't hear. And um, You have no idea anyway. how many misconfigurations take place on these networks. Uh, just, uh, you know, I travel between three countries um, and my, all of a sudden my text messages start arriving five hours late, which really pisses me off because they cost money for a reason. You know, that's guaranteed delivery. It's supposed to get there. And you're supposed to have yeah, it immediately. No. That really pisses me off when you can't rely on that. Yeah, I know you've complained about this. And it's happened to me because once in a while I get a voicemail from you, uh, you know, a day late. Ugh. It comes in out of the blue. It says, yeah, I'll be there in 10 minutes. You know, I'm going, oh, great. Where yeah. was I supposed to be? And there's a minutes. skeleton of me, you know, standing with my finger on the buzzer and not opening up. Yeah. No, so, that's that's very frustrating. It's only in the UK that that happens with, uh, with O2. I've been meaning to mention that because a lot of people say, I couldn't leave you a voicemail, you know, and no matter where they're calling from. So... Anyway, the, so, the solution. So, so, sorry, sorry to blow your conspiracy theory there, but well, I just, I just I, don't I'm, think it's I'm the right not way. completely convinced that it's not an element of what I'm suspecting. And, and by the way, to people who have uh, been talking about this, yes, I, I am subservient most of the time to John in these conversations. But he's also <laughs> he's also uh, 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 ten, ten years older than I am. Uh, well, nine or eight years, and uh, uh, more worldly and smarter. And I'm actually trying to learn something. And it's nice <laughs> to be not the lead dog. Well, I'm not the lead dog. No, but, but in anyways. this conversation, yeah, you feel free to patronize me. Okay. I'll do that. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. So what yeah, do you got uh, on your no agenda list? Um, well, I did want to thank you um, for uh, sticking up for Mevio for the company on the last twit at the very end there. That was nice. Oh, it's because, you know, one of the people was talking out of their 
Ass. behind yeah. as it were yeah. and it was just like you know you know it's, it's like anything else i mean if you're not in the you know i mean you can of course i'm like the expert at just blowing you know <laughs> blowing smoke about stuff i only know half the story about <laughs> but generally speaking if you do that sometimes you do get the real story because people say no you're completely wrong and here's what really happened and i always correct myself yeah. uh, i mean i've always done it by the way so i'm yesterday i'm standing out it's hot here. So yeah. I'm watching. There's some kid. This is a, a subject we have to bring up on, and do a whole show about. The kid is going by on a scooter with the handles. You know, it's not like a skateboard. Oh, uh, a zappy? One of those? You, well, you stand on like, the skateboard and it has handlebars? It's got handlebars and, and it's got like engine. four wheels and, it, and, it, and he's pushing it. It's, it's obviously not designed oh, to go very fast. He's, oh, one of those things. It has no engine. It's just the... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Go he's pay. going up the street, you know, at the one-tenth of a mile an hour. I mean, I could walk faster than this kid's pushing this thing, okay? Yeah. He's got a helmet on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking, what the heck is wrong with this? I mean, yeah, I understand the helmets are important on bicycling, and some people don't wear them. And, you know, a motorcycle for sure, because you can hurt yourself. Your head is something you don't want to, like, get damaged because, you know, you can't do much without it. But come on. I mean, at what point do we just wear a helmet to go to the go shopping? I mean, I was expecting to go to, you know, one of the stores around here, somebody pushing around a cart with a helmet, helmet on. on. How old was he, you, you think? The kid, he looked like he was 12. Oh, well, of course. That's, uh, you know, our, uh, uh, an entire generation of parents turning their kids into pussies. You know, it's unbelievable. I, re I remember when I was um, six years old, we were visiting friends. <laughs> this will, here's one for you. I still have a picture, and I'm sure I can find it. Um, uh, we were visiting friends in Texas. I think it was Dallas. And I was, it was like, I was completely into, no, maybe it was, yeah, no, it was six or seven. And I was completely into skateboarding. Skateboarding was everything. I'm sorry, I was nine. Um, and uh, so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go skateboarding because they had these really, you know, they lived in kind of a, uh, you know, one of those uh, very suburban type areas, you know, rack housing, et cetera, and, but nice asphalt. And all of a sudden I find myself on something I really had not been on, uh, having learned how to skateboard in the Netherlands. And that was on a significant hill. And <laughs> so I'm going down, I'm like, I'm picking up speed. I'm like, holy crap. And if, at that same moment, you know, basically I was trying to occupy the same, um, uh, space of road as a truck. So basically I, I wind up wiping out, but you know, I had two black eyes because uh, I fell on my nose. You know, I, my, my, my elbows were fine, but my knees were, no, my, I'm sorry. My shins were, my knees were fine, but my elbows, you know, completely shot. I still have gravel in, in my left elbow from, uh, from that wipeout. And that was what it was like, man, as kids, like you got fucked up and you, you know, you took a tumble and guess what? I ain't going to do that shit on that skateboard no more. <laughs> I learned my lesson good. Well, anyway, so there, I think you might have something, uh, you know, we, my wife and I talk about this generation of pussies thing. Uh, <laughs> I, and, can't, and, I can't wait to meet her, man. It comes up in the conversation when we're watching, you know, the British version of what I consider one of the great, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, one of the great uh, management consultants. <laughs> Gordon uh, Ramsay. 
Gordon Ramsay uh, comes into these places, and when he when he runs into this certain generation, the younger people, he runs into these these wimpy characters that uh, are that he has to yell and scream at. And there's a whole generation of people that have not that aren't used to this. They have been, especially in the United States, where they've been raised with political and, correctness. Well, it's not only that, but it's this self-esteem crap where, you know, you're a winner. We should have sports that there's no competition. My kids went to these schools that did this, and I, you know, got them out of those schools. You know, you know there should be a game. There shouldn't be a winner and a loser. Everyone's a winner. The guy who came in last is the last winner. You know, this kind of thing. And it's just you don't have to do well. You don't have to perform. You're, 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 you yourself, this, you know, you're important because you're a person and all this kind of crap. Mm-hmm. And it's been... And it results in a generation of people that don't perform very well. So, so this brings me to my favorite topic, having just been a show business bitch for my wife, which means carrying her suitcases, getting her tea, and keep, keep, keeping people out of her dressing room. Once again, she had uh, the, third se- the, or the last semifinal. The next show will be the finals of Holland's Got Talent. And I'm so proud of my wife because she's sitting there in the audience and there's you know, and the show is beautiful. The lighting's beautiful, and people are doing stuff. And you can see they've really put effort into it. But I'm sorry, a lot of it just sucked. And she's sitting there, and she just says it. And there were lose the end for the semifinal. Were two kids, an eight year old um, uh, Chinese kid named Oscar, which is a perfect name for a Chinese kid, um, and a 13 year old uh, Dutch girl who sang uh, had a musical performance. You know, like a, some piece from a, a Dutch musical. And, you know, then the judges have to make the final decision on these two. And so you have these two young, you know, kids sitting next to each other. And you can just hear hearts breaking everywhere, you know. But they had to, and, 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 they, and they, they just had to be honest and say, boom, you know, kid, you're out, go home. But, the, you know, this is what's really, I like about this show is there are actual losers. And they say, I'm sorry, you lose. Go home. Go away. Not, you know, ah, oh, well, you know, good try. No, it's just exit. And good try. Exit, yeah. And that's good. There's some social value to that, I feel. Well, it's still, you know, it's still, if you go back in time, let's, you know, start looking at the history of all this stuff. You know, there used to be amateur hour shows and there used to be these kinds of shows uh, forever because people, you know, it's a good way to get people to work for nothing. It's, let's face reality. But anyway, they used to have a thing where a guy would come out with a hook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, the term "give him the hook" has to do with this, and it wouldn't be—it wasn't a kind Dude, and gentler world back exists. then. That still exists. In Showtime at the Apollo, the Sandman will come out with the hook if the audience boos you off the stage. It still yeah, happens today. Off the, right. They boo you off the stage. And if you go back even further and you start looking at the history of the theater in the 1800s, they used to throw stuff at the stage. Yep. People would come in with boxes of tomatoes, tomatoes. usually yeah. rotten, eggs, because there were eggs everywhere back then because people had chickens. And you can't eat enough. To, you can't eat the eggs, believe me. If you, have, if you have more than three or four chickens, there's no way. So you bring them to the theater. And if some crappy act came out, they would just – Pelt them with rotten cabbages and is tomatoes. The, is that and the vaudeville is, days? Is that uh, how far no, we're pre- going? This, this is well, vaudeville was one of it. But any no, actually, the, 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 if you go back to the 1860s, there's a number of good books on this. And you, you read about – we're talking about the regular theater uh, where people would come out and sing and dance. And it wasn't vaudeville. Uh, per se. Vaudeville is actually a, a kind of something that developed um, – 
in a uh, out of burlesque, burlesque, which okay, was a, right. basically burlesque was a was a was a subcategory of, of of the formal theater, but it was it was basically dirty. I mean, it was you know, sexy, topless, sexy, 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 not dirty, sexy, sexy, sexy well, not was, dirty. Was, there you go, John. This is exactly the problem we have. No, actually, Turning sexy no, no, into the dirt. Problem, no, the problem we have is you and the political correct use of the word sexy. This is not sexy. <laughs> I got to, I, I got to go to a couple of these mean, burlesque sexy? shows in there. It's not in dirty. No, that's called. Dirty. Horny. Let's call this it horny. Was, horny. A dirty comic would come out with dirty jokes, and these girls were just, you know, they were dirty. This, there's nothing sexy about <laughs> okay. it. Anyway, so that was not family entertainment. So they developed burlesque. I'm sorry, vaudeville came out of that and developed in down by in that Canal Street area. Actually, is where uh, it really you, started. You are, to you form. are so knowledgeable. I love this. No, I just happened to read a couple books on it. Anyway, so but the th the thing is, the regular theater where they, people would come out and they'd sing or they do a play or something like that. That's where they throw the stuff. It's like going to Broadway today and watching, you know, Les Mis or something, and then heaving a dude, tomato at the guy with the dude, with the mask. I mean, geez. I just this is the next this is the next level in reality shows. You let the audience in on the act, but you actually really let them in on the act, and you let them come in with rotten eggs and tomatoes, and we just take it back to those times. I would watch that show. Of course you would, specifically because I'd have the guy telling dirty jokes and the, and the tits out on stage. Hey, hey, this is my kind of show, Johnny. So, uh, actually, you know, a show where people got a little more involved, I mean, it would, would probably be kind of interesting. Although, with today's, you know, audience, today's group, we don't kind of understand, the, you know, the, what, the, what the rules really are. And some guy would bring a gun and, like, shoot the guy I was on the stage, you know, kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I think it'd be entertaining to let people have a, a... Maybe if you limited the people to maybe one egg and maybe one cabbage and one tomato each, and they could only use them, you know... Oh, yeah, you had a certain like, limit. Yeah, you have a... Okay. Eh. Yeah, you don't want guy the box of tomatoes just throwing them up there because he wants to practice his pitching and, and by the way uh studio audiences are screened they do go through metal detectors ah at least they do on any show my wife is performing on well that's because you're in the audience <laughs> i'm everywhere i have eyes everywhere so anyway, yeah. So that's kind of the uh, the. Uh, we have so shows. much to do. We have we have shows to start. We have oh my gosh. I like the idea of the tomato show. I think that would work. You know what? Hey, that's one. Especially that, if a guy you get a good guy in there that really has a, a good accurate arm, so you can just hit somebody <laughs> right in the head. So why why don't we? Say, you know this this could be really easy. We could do this with Mevio, no problem. We can we can put together a treatment and uh, and put together a budget. It doesn't have to be hugely expensive to do this. You, know, you rent out a place, uh, you set the ground rules, and you have you know you just invite people to come and do their act, and then you know you either go or uh, or you get. Uh, Something thrown at you, and we could do like it, it with two, you know, two cameras. We could do a hell of a lot. We could really get a lot accomplished. We and definitely need a cleanup crew. Well, details, details. That's what interns are for. <laughs> um, I wrote something down here. You know, I uh, I carry my iPod Touch everywhere. I love it, and we'll have to see if I switch to the new iPhone with 3G when it comes out. So far, you I will. Yeah, probably. But I, I did the crack thing, the zip phone hack, whatever it is, on the iPod Touch so I can load all the all the cool applications. And there's some that are actually use, usable. Yeah. Um, anyway, you said something on, I think it was No Agenda, you were talking about 
um, cameras with uh, a GPS receiver in it, so it uh, would geotag the pictures? Uh, I was on uh, Tech 5. What did I say you, what that was? You said no agenda. Uh, I'm sorry, Tech 5, yeah. And uh, that you find that you'd, you'd always... By the way, which can be found at Tech 5 with a 5.mevio.com. And uh, that you had always, and here it is, poo-pooed them. Uh, until you actually found it was quite handy to have pictures and be able to place them exactly where you were when you were on your Korean trip. Yeah, I thought about it for a while, and I realized that uh, you know, if you, I, I don't go to like Korea every minute, and so you, but I'm pretty good at finding my way around. But I realized that I have a lot of shots that you, you know, you take if you if you like me and you like to really if you're traveling, you just take a lot of pictures because it's just fun to see if you can find something that's that's worth having, and you shoot, 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 and then you shoot and you shoot out of windows. Sometimes I shoot out of cab windows a lot. I see something weird, and I say, oh, look at that, and I shoot it. And you know, most of these pictures are just a waste, but. But occasionally you catch something that's pretty cool, and then you sort them out, and you end it, so you end up with this picture that you say, "Wow, that's pretty cool." And it's like in, in there you see something. Well, that, I didn't know. I would like to go to that store that's in that picture. I don't know where it is. It would be cool to have a GPS data attached to that photo, so I knew exactly where that picture was taken, so I could actually go back to that spot. And I could I couldn't really think of any real reason to have GPS data on photos until I realized that that reason I just described is a really good one. So this so this kind of ties into my uh, iPod Touch and the iPhone, the new iPhone. And I was thinking the following because you know that we're going to be able to make applications for the iPhone, etc. Hopefully, the capability will be there. Um, so I, I would presume, I could be wrong, but let's say the new iPhone had GPS capability, which pretty much these days, uh, if you want to make a high-end mobile phone, it has to have GPS in there because that's just, that just seems to be the trend. So if we actually had um, a GPS receiver, and of course it has multimedia capabilities, up popped an idea that I've had for oh, five years at least, maybe longer, ever since I've been using GPS. How cool would it be if you could geotag um, certain areas in the world, for instance, um, we were talking about Amsterdam, and I said, and actually, a couple of people took me up on the offer. They emailed me and said, "Hey, I'm going to Amsterdam in the next couple of weeks. Could you please give me a couple of cool places to go? Could you just tell me whatever you and John were talking about?" So I made up a little template thing, and I've been sending that off to people. Now, wouldn't it be cool if I could say, you know, if they could click on a link or have some kind of, uh, yeah, a link would be easy, and you download something. And um, while you're walking around Amsterdam, you're getting directions to places. And when you're in the spot where, um, you know, for instance, in front of the Anne Frank Museum, you would then hear uh, from an MP3, you would hear, you know, which could be a, a really low, low, low res and it could, be, uh, it could be streamed, you know, immediately, I presume. You could hear me saying, well, right now you're standing in front of the Anne Frank house. They give you some background. And I say, there's probably a long freaking line there. So what you want to do is just, you know, turn 180 degrees, turn around and walk up to the Rosengracht to Ben Cohen's and have yourself some shawarma cause, and ask for it this way and tell them uh, I sent you. And you could really put together almost like, which I loved as a kid, those walking guided tours of the museum where you'd get the headsets and you'd walk, you know, towards an exhibit and then um, you'd start to hear the description of that exhibit. I think you could really build something like that. And it could be a community thing where you couldn't, Contribute just like uh, Google Maps, which of course would come into play somewhere. I'm sure in in this whole infrastructure I'm dreaming up, where um, uh, you know if someone else wants to to add to the uh, tour or add another point of interest, as it's known, you know there could be a number of things there. But I, the whole idea of a, of a 
a guided audio walking tour and descriptions of places anywhere, or you could just be walking somewhere and all of a sudden you'd get a little beep, 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 and then you'd click the play button and it'd be like, hi, this is, I'm, this is Peter and this is where um, Mary and I had sex for the first time. I mean, it could be all kinds of interesting things. <laughs> I think it's a nightmare. Why? Uh, you don't think that would be interesting or useful? Yeah, I think it would. No, I think, in fact, I think the idea is sheer genius and I think it's something that's needed, except I think it's like anything else that if it got too, you know, I don't know, I'd rather have a professional rather than the guy who screwed his wife near that well, corner. I don't really I, care. Obvi but obviously. But that's you, what you, would be in there. That's the problem. That would be in there, and that's what that's the drawback. Well, then you, don't you make actually, Yeah, but then don't make the, yeah, Obviously, that's just an option. That's a bolt-on. I mean, you, we could, you could sell professional packages. In fact, you could take no agenda, and you could take every single bit where we've talked about a restaurant, talked about a, a place you or I have been. Um, it, Jesus. Yeah, even, we have even, the no agenda visit pack. Now, yeah. the thing is, by the way, there's a really cool restaurant by the Anne Frank house that is just like and I, now and I think really? I took one picture inside the place and that would be a cool thing to have geotagged because I don't even remember the name of the place I'm looking hold on and, a but it's like very it's a really stylish you know lots of wood and fancy architecture place is it the five um, flies I don't know maybe it was cool oh no so no like, oh no wait a minute that's um that's the restaurant in the in the church tower in the Near the church, there's a big, a big tower, right? To no, it's not in a tower. It's right on the street, and it's got a, it's got like weird. It's weird. It's a weird, trendy, kind of over-designed, architecturally interesting, you know, place. That and by the way, the food was good there. I mean, we had some people you could see them walking to go to the Anne Frank thing. Other people that were in this group that you'd see friends going down the streets, and you'd bring them in, and, and it was a lot of it was like tapas were, was what we were eating there, kind Is of it, thing. It, it was wasn't in tapas, the, in the Vesterkerk, maybe. The, the Vestor Church? Hmm. Maybe. So anyway, the point is is that if I had this system or the one you're talking about, I could, you know, I would be able to punch it up right now and tell people to go check it out. But yeah, no, I, let's make that a company. Let's do it. <laughs> let's make that a company. Hey, I hear you're really good at fundraising. <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> we'll just send you out with, our, with my idea, your fundraising skills, John. Fantastic. <laughs> I think you should start with a patent. That, by the way, patent. that by the way was an inside joke. Yeah, uh, it was. A business, wait a minute, another patent I can get? I can get a patent on that idea? Surely someone's come up with this. That can't be unique. Not the way you could do it. You could make it specific enough that it would be very... By the, by the time one. we got the patent done, you know, it's like someone else will have built the whole system. I'd, 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 on, you know, no, build the patent. I mean, have the patent done on the side while you're building the system. Up. John, what I'd much rather do is I'd rather talk about the awesome system and uh, very much like, uh, you know, podcasting. I'd like to uh, energize and incentivize yeah. people who can build that. Well, I like the idea because it would be cool and it would be cool. But, you know, it's 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 non-trivial. Let me say that. To have it so you were, you know, I'm walking around San Francisco and my phone beeps at me with a distinctive sound, meaning I'm walking past some place I showed some interest in or or that's that I'm subscribing to this, like one person's well, feed. This almost be, could be a little bit like Twitter. But think about well, it. Very good point. Now think about it. A GPS has points of interest and it has points of interest by category. So those systems already, you know, kind of pre-baked, know the concept. So you could have the no agenda category, and that would just be points of interest or waypoints, as they're sometimes known, that, you know, would be ours. The, you know, the, uh, it really comes down to the, uh, someone, you know, the, uh, the tools, I guess, to assemble and create um, um, 
you know, a route or um, some kind of database stuff, so, you know, and then of course some application that is, you know, constantly seeing, you know, if you're within proximity of one of these waypoints, all that kind of exists, John, that, that's, that's not all that big. I, I don't think that's a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's something that would be interesting to get it. So it was institutionalized to such an extreme that more than two people, more than two geeks with an iPhone would subscribe to the no agenda tour of Amsterdam. Well, which is what the market would be today. This whole podcasting started with uh, really two geeks, Adam Gurry and Dave Weiner, uh, sending uh, movie files back and forth through a, an RSS aggregator. It took uh, three, four years before even we had thought of coming up with with doing shows that you know putting MP3s in regularly. So, you know, by 2012, we we might have some. Maybe, but it seems to me that the GPS thing is not new. It's already gone past the three-year point, and yeah, uh, all these the, little. Yeah, but that's just a GPS thing. But you know, we're combining it with a couple things here. By the way, you could okay. all, you could also integrate RSS and subscribe to um, different waypoint services. Come on, man. That might There's be interesting. Here. There's something here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think there is something there because I wouldn't mind, you know, I when I go to some of these places uh, for the first time, uh, you get, you know, you don't get good information from the hotels, you know, that you don't, I mean, you just don't, you know, if you had somebody that you knew was there all the time and they'd put together a little tour or, so, or, or just a waypoint thing where you just, if you happen to be going by it, it beeps at you and you can say, oh, that's interesting. I should go check this out or, or, you know, restaurant tour or whatever. Um, yeah, you so could, you have, you could, you could have the, the weed service. So, you know, any city you're in, you know, it would automatically start beeping when you're near a dealer. <laughs> well, that's something you'd be interested in. In fact, you could make it... Oh, here it comes. You could make it even better. You could have the other side. Oh, this is cool. So let's say... If, this would be a great app for the iPhone. So let's just take that as an example, just because we mentioned it, not because I really want that service, although... So let's say if you're a dealer, you could have the, the reverse of the service, and it would actually be broadcasting your location um, in, in, within the category dealer, and then you could be uh, uh, on the lookout. You know, you could have your system set to automatically detect one of these people so you can find each other. All right. Well, let's go to something more practical, uh, which doesn't involve illegal yeah, activity. Speak for yourself. <laughs> so, uh, well, you might as well do the hookers then. So uh, <laughs> There you speed, go. Now, here it is, speed traps. Ooh, well, speed traps. That, that that so that system. Well, gee, maybe this is where I was in, where I got my idea from. Didn't we talk about that last week? Yeah, there's some speed trap stuff. I don't know that we did, but there's a bunch of speed trap websites, and there's all kinds of speed trap. No, you have systems this really, there, this really inexpensive device, like you know, thirty pounds, and you just stick it on your dashboard. It has batteries. Right. And you plug into the cigarette lighter, yeah. and it's screw it. Put it on the cell phone. Have a specific ringtone when you're entering a city. This would be very handy in the USA. You're going into some little city that's loaded with speed traps, the GPS thing will send an alarm to you saying, slow down because you're running into a speed trap. Beep, 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 beep. And you'd slow down and you'd drive through the speed trap and then you'd get an all clear sign, maybe yeah. or not. So, exa so exactly. The, the point is... That would work. I would subscribe to that service tomorrow. Okay. Would you carry an iPhone if, if it was available on the iPhone? Because that's I think well, that's, that's where it's, it's going to pop up first. I, you know, I, yeah, I guess I could carry an iPhone, you know, if I had to. Crap. Yeah, I, I, I don't like carrying phones. You know, the people don't understand. I don't really like being on the phone all day and all night. But so you I don't, don't carry a phone no, generally. But, but baby, listen to me. You don't need that. 
Yeah, I carry a separate phone, e- even with the iPhone. I want a phone that just does a phone, and by the way, I want one I could drop in the toilet, get run over by a truck, and it'll still be a phone. The, right, the, the, I use a track phone for that, by the way. I know you do. They should be sponsoring our show, but I, we should call them up. Yeah, well, so should Cessna. Let's call them up, too. Cessna should be spot. Well, I don't know how many people out there would buy a Cessna that we probably. Are well, you maybe. kidding me? I'll, I guarantee you, there's lots of people in aviation who listen to me, and, and I bet you, I bet you, there there are future pilots Cessna, who will buy a Cessna, Cessna because of me. Cessna and TrackPhone should both re- <laughs> and be Apple. paying for this. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> Apple. Damn, man. That'll, All that'll this the missed opportunity. Yeah, that'll be the day. There you go. Wouldn't that Wouldn't that be funny if we were sponsored by Apple? It would be funny. I mean, you know, we don't even need to be sponsored. What I would suggest, and I think we're going to have to find some way of doing this, is just doing these uh, uh, product placement discussions. <laughs> As they it all sounds are. like that's what we're doing anyway. <laughs> As they all are. No, we do it differently. We, we, you know, when our, as our audience grows, which, you know, it really is going quite swiftly. Uh, just, you know, what do we know? This is the 31st episode. Um, so at a certain point, we'll just, ha- we'll just have a large audience. When we talk about some product, we'll just send them a bill and just see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just send it. Here's your bill. Here's your you bill. owe us like uh, $45,000, jerks. <laughs> send them a bill. It's <laughs> funny. Apple, they're already in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> not Nothing I had to do with it. I'll tell you that right now. But wait a minute. But, but, when we, but we should make it fair. And if we, if we really uh, slam a product, we should send them a check. Ah, absolutely. See now, th- now, so then we have a little fun going, right? And then, then, or, or, or some equivalent of a check, or something to make right whatever we think is wrong. I don't know, something like that. Well, you know, I don't think we have to make right what we think is wrong if the product sucks. Ah, uh, true. But maybe sending them a check will be funny. So, so you, you, here you go. So, you, so you, you join our, you join our advertising club. And if you're lucky, we talk about your product. We send you a check. If you're unlucky, we talk about your product. And you know, then uh, and it can be thousands of companies. We most will never talk about. But if we slam your product, we send you a check. I like it. I like the advertising club aspect. Nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of like yeah. Uh, you have the advertising club. You guys are, and we get we'll list them for the listeners. Here's the people that we're gonna maybe or maybe not talk about in a pro or con way. And of course, you know there'll be some jerks out there that'll track it. Mm-hmm. Well, I see that they uh, talked about Apple three times and they didn't say anything bad about them. Right. And uh, you know that kind of thing. That's we okay. can lose credibility, but we I think we can do it. Yeah, I mean I. I yeah, I think we could. How much do it. credibility do we need? That's what I say. <laughs> How far must we go? Oh man! All right, you got anything else, John? Uh, I got plenty, but you know, I think we're running out of time. Well, uh, actually, time is one not of these that days. Bad. Well, seventy-two well, I'm minutes. I want to talk. You know, yeah. I sent you the thing about the you know the Bordeaux in a box. Somebody sent me uh, on Twitter. Yes, Why don't you talk did. about this? You're a wine guy. What do you think about Bordeaux well, in a box? So actually, there was something that caught my eye in that article, and of course, like an idiot. Uh, I closed it. <sighs> Crap. Do you have it open? Do you have that article open? The Bordeaux in the Box article? Yeah. Here, let me see. I got it. It's actually on the Twitter feed. Let me just, uh, by the way, anyone who wants to okay, add so me, it's, which so is now called the Dvorak Brigade. Hold, hold on a second, John. Um, downloading the, the wine in a box page. Just cut the Skype off for a second there. Hold on. Are, are you there? Yeah. Okay. 
you got to get a better link. I've got, I've got 16 megabits coming down on my stream. Dude, I'm, a, I'm about to move to, to London just to get a better link. All three of us are so fed up with the, the, the level of service we can get. And that's just because of the proximity from, of our house to the exchange. Uh, I've had a cable modem and cable on order from Virgin Media for about three months. I mean, they, they acquired a company called NTL, also known in the United Kingdom as NTHEL. And uh, they have not yet implemented the uh, Virgin brand of customer service, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so we're gonna, just going to yeah. move. We're going to move to get I'm a better connection. You, well, why don't you just call Branson, though? Aren't you his friend? Yeah, but he, 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 what's he going to do? He's going to dig up a, 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 he's going to build a new exchange closer to my house uh, just because he's my friend. Okay, is Bordeaux and Carton's the last straw for French wine? That was it. By the way, somebody also sent a topic idea in per Meister. He says, wait a minute, man killed on tracks while listening to an iPod. <laughs> wait a minute. I want to say something about the, the wine in a carton. <laughs> okay. the, the wine in the carton is one thing, but it comes with a sensory straw with four holes, which are in the straw to send a spray of wine around the palate and ensure you enjoy exactly the same sensations as with a wine glass. That is technology, my friend. That is technology. I got to try that. Hey, when I get to San Francisco, which I'm sure will be in the next uh, week or two, maybe three weeks, um, let's, uh, let's have a, let's have a, a carton of wine together with a, a sensory straw. We, I'll share a straw. Well, why, with don't you. You, why, why don't you find, see if you can find that you, you, you check luggage ever luggage. Yeah. When you come over, or, Dude, I'll carry I, on. Of course I check luggage. I, I carry, uh, oh, you know, I, I never, I never, you've never seen okay, me wear the just, same, the same two clothes twice. That's true. You know, this guy, for anyone out there listening, this guy has never, that's why he didn't want me talking about the shirts I was having tailor made because I wear shirts more than once. <laughs> I have, you know, I get them cleaned, I wash them, I put but them, you see, put them you're on wrong. again. You're wrong. You wear everything once no, and then throw John, it out. No, I do. First of all, I do not throw it out. Second of all, you're wrong. What I actually do is I'm much better at coordinating. I know exactly what outfits you've seen me in and I make sure I wear something different to, to keep you entertained. Yeah, that's not true. You know it. It is so, true. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I wonder what do, did Dvorak see this? Uh, let me try a different shirt. When I go uh, on, when I go on, as an example, when we go out to dinner, yes, I absolutely. No matter who you are, whether you're John C. Dvorak, no, we're not, well, speak for yourself. Um, but when I go on um, on Cranky Geeks, I, know I would never wear the same thing twice, dude. I'm in show business. This is what I do. Like a woman. Okay. Yeah, well, okay. Go so ahead. Anyway, yell let's at get me. back. Here, here, here's what you went, went off topic on I me. Mean, let me just say what I was going to say. Get a, a one of the get two of the whites, two of the white wines, and two of the reds. Skip the one in the middle, and bring so bring four of these little boxes of wine. Okay. In checked luggage because you can't obviously get it through any other way, and then we'll check it out at a restaurant. Oh, are we going to drink this wine in a restaurant? Yeah, we'll go to Fringal because they always like game for crazy things like that. <laughs> okay, where can I get it? Hold on. Uh, it's called, uh, was it Tandem is what it's called? I don't know. And it, here it is. No, hold on, I don't up. have it. It's uh, Tan. Oh, here it is. Uh, produced by Cordier Metzerat. Met Metzerzat. 
Mestrazat. Mestrazat? Is that French yeah, or German? These, they're a big giant is. operation. I think okay. they're from Algeria or something. Uh, oh, now, <laughs> uh, which has been selling fine wine since, uh, oh, oh, there you go. So this thing from Nigeria, which has been selling fine wine no, since... No, not Nigeria, Algeria. Algeria, since 1886. Ah, well, they, maybe they're French. I don't know. The 25-centiliter product called Tandem will arrive in Britain next week at the London International Wine Fair. John C. Dvorak, I'm thinking road trip. <laughs> the London a, International Wine Fair. Go figure. Yeah, I, yeah, that'd probably be good for a laugh. Photo up. Wow. Anyway, so they got a red, a white, and a rosé. We can skip the rosé. We know that's going to be crap. And uh, <laughs> or just the a straw, mixture of the man. two. I want. I, I maybe. Do you think they sell the straws separately? Separately. That would be cool. Yeah. Here, London International Wine Fair. Well, excuse me. See, the bad news in this article is the following. The annual wine consumption of France has fallen from 100 liters per person to 54 liters per person during the last 40. Nobody's even drinking in France anymore. No wonder the country's in trouble. Why is that, do you think? That's interesting. I think it's because of the Muslim influence. Really? Well, I'm just guessing. I mean, what well, else could they That and the teetotalers, which are all over the place. I don't know. For the visitors, I mean, the fair can be hugely beneficial. The opportunity to meet with over 1,200 exhibitors from every major producing country all in one place and to taste the new vintage in a relaxed yet professional environment saves time and money. Yeah, that's what Van Expo is all about. That's just a bigger event. These are for the lazy guys that can't get out of England and take a trip to the <laughs> continent. But anyway, back to this this product. So the guy, I think, was asking me, what do I think? You know, so I don't think these are ever a bad idea. And it's nothing new. I mean, Beaujolais used to be in a can in the 70s. It's not that big of a deal. You can still buy wine in bladders all throughout France. You bring your own bladder. It's a big old plastic thing, and you fill it up right from the barrel. And there's still wine in a box that comes out of Bordeaux from various little chateaus. And so this is just taking it to a kind of a junk wine level. I'm sure this wine's not that good. But for just something, if you want to just have some wine to help digest your horrible lunch, if you happen to be working in some place in San Francisco and it's in a startup uh, where there's no good restaurants, this might be not a bad solution. I think, you know, a couple of these, a couple, you know, these things would be good for you. I think that this would be uh, potentially um, a hit with Patricia. <laughs> maybe it you know might what? be just, that's interesting maybe the, maybe the Dutch in general would go for this stuff suck it and see is the, the Guardian uh, headlines about the suck wine it. suck it and see <laughs> well, that's one, a good headline one person complained that the problem with this you know some some snoot and I you know and I as a wine connoisseur collector I'm not as bad as I sound but I can see some snoots saying, well, you know, you can't smell it in the glass and blah, 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 blah. You know, this is wines that probably should, even the red wine in this case, should probably be in the refrigerator anyway. And it's not a wine, you know, it's a wine as a, it's a, wine as a beverage. It's not wine as a, as, a, as a target of affection and intellectualism, you know, where, oh, the nose, it's got the orange blossom so, smell, so here's the a, sea breeze, Here's, blah, a, here's blah, blah. another data point for you. So this Guardian art article that's titled Suck It and See is from September 13th, 2007. And indeed, it's um, talking about the straw. Oh, really? It, they didn't even have the carton then. So the carton, it seems, was an afterthought. 
Drinking from the special mm. straws is said to recreate the sensation of tasting wine from a glass. <laughs> Quote, bringing small wine containers with straws to a party is more amusing than arriving with a bottle. Huh. How about that? Well, we got to huh? get a hold of some of these straws. I'm telling you, man, that's what caught my eye. I'm like, that is some awesome technology. It's a hole. <laughs> hey, it's patentable, let's motherfucker. Hole, let's put a pinhole in his in his straw. You know a guy patented that shit, and he's got the right, pinhole in the straw. Yeah. Now I gotta look up sensory straw. Mm, oh shit! I should have been googling that sensory yeah, straw. I'm on a Tetra Pack launched <laughs> launched sensory straw. Sensory straw makes drinking fun. Yeah, baby. Tetra Pak carton ambient sensory straw to be launched in Australia. Sensory straw tackles different taste buds. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> oh. Tools for innovation. Making milk milk interactive. They're going to use it with milk for kids. When kids take a sip, the liquid flows in all four directions at the same time, tickling the kids. Let me get this. Uh, hey, dude. So, so I was just looking for sensory straw, a patent, right? And yeah. so here's what I ran across. It's a, it's a different patent, uh, U.S. Patent 6129265, beverage container with entertainment features. <laughs> that trips me out. There's oh, this is interesting. Yeah, it's funny. It is funny. Uh, now, there's a, in, in the da- on the dairyfoods.com, uh, there's a picture. It's fairly good. It's not a close-up, but it's close enough. You can see the straw. It's got a knob on the end. And I guess it's kind of like the only shape funny. It's kind of like the thing you get on a Pavoni cappuccino machine, the milk steamer that has the holes going every which way. And that's what it looks like it's modeled after. And so when you suck on this thing, and they sell the straws with flavors in them too. Oh this my God, John, John! Oh, you're not going to believe this. I'm going to say this is a this is a link to the you're the Tetra Pak website. I'm at no, I'm the DairyFoods.com website. Okay, look look at that link. I'm skyping you right now. So this is okay. the history of um, of this company. Check this out. In 1890, Clemens von Bechtelsheim develops and patents, takes out a patent for the first models of the so-called alpha plates, which are at the very heart of a separator. Wait a minute. Is that, is that the straw? Is that the straw technology? Now I'm confused. No, this is a D, we're talking at the D. Laval family. These are guys who made centrifuges. So we're talking a separator machine able to continue. This is a, this is a, this is called a, uh, this is one of those continuous centrifuges. In other words, you don't keep it in a single, uh, in a single, uh, container and you can centrifuge stuff out in a, in oh, a, in a okay. process. So, right, so right. it never stops. This is used in the wine business, right. uh, and other, so, uh, so these people look at, two, look at 2003, the sensory straw concept was launched. Anuga food yeah. tech, yeah, no, whatever. Okay, so they've been, they've been sitting on, man, can you believe it? They've been sitting on this shit and depriving it from us for five years. <laughs> I have not had the pleasure of a sensory straw. It's a gimmick. Anyway, let's get some of those straws, but let's get some of those wines, wines too. We'll yeah. check it out and yeah. report back. Yes, definitely, definitely. I'm, I, I think it's... Uh, I think it's important. I love the picture of the kid at the top of this page. (laughs) Wait a minute. Let me see. Let me see. Uh, Top of which page? Of the history page that you were looking at. Okay, hold on. Let me go 
back to it. Of the Tetra Pack. <laughs> Just sipping a fucking a big mug of wine. <laughs> I'm a fuck of wine. Just this kid looks so happy. Uh, but you know why? Because, uh, well, actually, the kid's not even using the sensory straw. Hmm. Well. Uh, they missed something there. Uh, Let's quit while it? we're still ahead, John. Yep. That's a good idea. All right. Hey, can I just say, this was a fun show. I enjoyed it. We learned something. Yes, we did. We started a couple businesses. We learned something. And we have homework, which means we have to get some of the tandem wines in a carton with the uh, sensory straw mechanism. Great technology. You know, the astronauts uh, use that. Space shuttle. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Uh, That's it. Coming to you from the uh, Curry Manor in the United Kingdom. I'm Adam Curry. And from Northern California, I'm John C. Dvorak. And we'll talk to you again next week right here on No Agenda. No Agenda.